Do you think of yourself as like the kind of guy who has a pool? Like, are you a pool guy? No, no, I I am really not. I mean, I always wanted a pool. Like when I was a kid, I would just, you know, fantasize about like what it would be like if, if I had a pool. But I don't identify with having a pool. It seems like something other people do. That's Devin Friedman. He's a writer and editor, someone I've worked with in the past. And I would probably not describe Devin as a pool guy either. He's low-key and sardonic, tends to make jokes so dry you almost miss them. But at some point during the pandemic, Devin and his wife decided they wanted a pool. They were living in the Berkshires in Massachusetts in a cabin they've slowly renovated over the years. And our friends who are like, who have like renovated all these houses were like, there's this, we have this guy who can do these pools. They're really inexpensive. They look really good. It's like they have one of those houses that you like see their house and you're like, how can I get that? Like, I wish that I had that kind of taste. Um, So that was sort of, that was the beginning. So they hired the guy their friends recommended. In the story that he later wrote about this, Devin gave him the pseudonym Gary Kruglitz. He reminds me of like the unit principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) Except he's like even sort of more out to lunch. Just he wears like a very um, old-fashioned mustache and um, wire rim glasses and short sleeve button downs that tend to reveal like a little bit of nipple. Devin and his wife sign a contract with Gary, pay a deposit, and wait. This is in the middle of the pandemic construction boom, and they're trying to straddle the line between politely eager customers and obnoxious pool people. But swimming season is fast approaching, and they want to get this thing done for their kids. It's May, it's June, it's the beginning of July. He's He stops sort of answering our emails for a long time. Um... We're like really annoyed and we, you know, like we, we, it's like you feel guilty because you're not being pushy enough to get on the schedule to get something done. But then you also feel guilty for like being really pushy. But suddenly Gary emails that he is ready to go. They finally got the materials. The workers can do it. It's time to send the rest of the money. And Gary wants it electronically by Zelle. If you haven't used Zelle, It's a way to transfer money between bank accounts. All you need is the recipient's email address or phone number. You know, the weird thing in retrospect is that he said, you know, I'm going to want you to sell me the money. It's the easiest way. Banks are closed. It's the pandemic. You can't go in. A lot of our workmen can't go cash their checks right now. It's very hard to get them to do anything. They want want cash if they're going to do any work. So, like, you know, the easiest thing is for you to basically start zelling. Here are some here are some emails of the people that you need to zell. And, you know, like, can you can you give me five thousand dollars by tomorrow and then we can get going? Over a two week period, Devin and his wife send Gary and the workers about thirty thousand dollars to two different email addresses. Devin is not a total rube. He gets Gary to send him a receipt which Gary does, on official letterhead. And then the big day arrives. It's finally time for Gary to break ground. He emails early in the morning to say, I'm on your road, I'll be there soon. But then hours pass and nothing happens. 
So we started calling his office. We never could get him on the phone at his office. There's always like his, you know, one of his, the woman that works in the front of the, of the pool store would be answer the phone and sort of say he's not around. But finally, we got him on the phone and we're like, where are you? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, where are you? You're building a pool for us. Like, I've signed a contract. I've been to your office. You emailed this morning and said you were on our road. And there was like a long pause. And he said, I haven't sent you an email for a month. And then my wife basically put the phone down, like, you know, just sort of dropped the phone and said, holy shit. And literally kind of fell down, like got to, like fell on the floor in the kitchen. <laughs> Did you know instantly that you'd been scammed? I, I don't remember now, but yeah, I think it was like, it was one of those, like, everything sort of fell into place. Today on the show, the Great Zell Pool Scam. Peer-to-peer payment apps have made it quick and easy to send money. One problem, though, when it's a scammer, you can't get it back. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Before you hear all of the embarrassing details of how this thing unfolded, Devin would like to make it clear that he is not a complete dum-dum. I will say that in our defense, all the emails were coming from his actual email. We checked that out. You know, it's like sometimes if you open like an email from your bank, you look at it and it's like, this is not the email that my bank would be sending me correspondence from. But this was really from him. And he was having me pay. (laughs) He was having us pay two people. One was called Personal Breezy 127 at AOL.com, something like that. The other was Sunshine Yasmin something at gmail.com. And in our defense, working on this house, working on other stuff, it's like there are a lot of times where a contractor would be like, can you just make this check out to my wife? because they're trying not to pay taxes or whatever. And I probably should be more embarrassed to admit that I have done that. So I just was like, whatever, I just need this to happen. Like, if you need me to pay some other people that, you know, you're trying not to pay taxes, you want me to pay your workers directly so you don't have the income on your, whatever, we we just did it. This process, it 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 didn't raise red flags for you guys? Because you know that people are going to be listening to this being like, surely I would not send money to personal breezy blah, 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 blah. It 100% should have raised a red flag. And the instant that we realized something was wrong, it was clear that we were idiots. 
But in the moment, we were so caught up in like being ignored by this guy and being yanked around and trying to get what we want. Like, he's never going to do this. We're never, it's going to be next year. And, you know, we were going to have paid this money and he's not even going to have ever showed up at our house. That we were like so happy that he was going to pay attention to us that we probably didn't really pay attention quite as closely as we should have to. <laughs> we were paying all that money to. What did you do then? Did you call your bank? the cops? Like, what was step B? We immediately called the bank. And then we called every law enforcement agency we could think of from local law enforcement in this little town in in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts State Police, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Attorney General's Office in Massachusetts, the FBI. I think that's probably it. Did anybody react? No. Like, you know, even, you know, my bank was basically it was as if I told them, like, I lost my credit card. It's like, okay, fill out this form and, you know, we'll have a team look into it, which I'm not sure that they did or not, because I then, having been a a journalist of questionable ethics for quite some time, I was like, I'm going to call the bank and say I'm writing a story and see if they get more responsive this way. And they were more responsive and after a few weeks. And they were like, oh, yeah, your money is is, is really completely gone. There's nothing. You know, I think we got a couple hundred bucks back um, that they found in the account that had been transferred to. The behind the scenes of this scam was probably pretty simple. Someone got into Gary's email. Then they posed as Gary, instructing Devin and his wife to send the cash to two different email accounts. Once the people behind those accounts had the money in hand, it disappeared into a sort of black hole. Most likely, someone got control of this pool guy's email um, account. And according to someone I spoke to at the U.S. Attorney's Office who had been a cybercrimes guy, they said, okay, well, who, let's, let's do, you know, people who install pools across the Northeast because, you know, we'll just go, we'll try to get into all their emails because this these are people who deal in cash. They deal in large amounts of money. They probably don't have close relationships with their clients where they deal with them every day because people don't usually build more than one pool. Um, and so somehow they got, you know, somehow they hacked into his account either by, you know, phishing, which is like getting him to click on a fake, you know, link to something and put his information in or by you know, maybe he, maybe, you know, they bought his email credentials on the dark web, which is fairly common. But then once they got in, then I know I talked to a few other people who were clients of his who had also been uh, approached. So it wasn't just you. No. I want to talk a little bit about Zelle, because this is how you paid this person, these people. I use Zelle. A lot of people use it. But for people who aren't aware, what what is it? Zelle is a what is known as a peer-to-peer payment platform. And it's basically a, a way for you to pay someone directly without, you know, having to write them a check or or wiring something into their account. It's like you give your signing credentials to this, you know, company and they give their credentials to the company and then sort of seamlessly the money gets transferred between you without much of a middleman. And who owns it? It is owned by a consortium of the biggest banks in America. 
you know, places like Bank of America and Chase and, you know, Wells Fargo and all those companies. Do, do you have any idea how common or widespread scams like yours are on Zelle? They're incredibly common. I mean, when I talked to Zelle, they were like, well, 99.9% of transactions are not fraudulent. But like there's like the volume of money that gets exchanged on Zelle is so huge that like even that 0.01% or 0.1% or whatever is like, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Um, so, you know, even when I when I spoke to um, again, the the cybercrime guy, he's just like, there's no way they're going to investigate this on your behalf because the amount of fraud on these platforms is so large, it's just impossible for, and it takes so much effort to, to track these things down that unless you're able to link your 30 grand to some bigger scheme of bad operators that are responsible for a billion dollars or a million dollars, you know, 500 million, whatever it is, that you're, no one's going to investigate it. It's just not worth, it's not worth the manpower. You know, I think I had this idea that somehow Zelle was was more secure or maybe less prone to fraud than than Venmo because no, it, it is owned by the banks. Like no, I it's thought, Venmo. Oh. It's just Venmo. It is Venmo. So the the whole idea that like Chase and Bank of America and what have you have got this thing all buttoned up, that's a fantasy? No, and I sort of feel bad for I mean, I think Zelle is a success for them now, but I feel bad that they had to even get into this business because basically, you know, it's like cable versus streaming. It's like cable, you know, big cable companies were making tons of money until the streamers came along and they were like, you know what, what if we, what if we didn't charge as much and you could have all this stuff on demand? It's like sort of like that. And then the cable companies were forced to be like, oh, we have to stream too. In this case, it was Venmo and PayPal being like, we're going to make it so much easier for you to pay someone that you should never use your bank to do this. And the banks were like, okay, well, we have to do this too, or we're going to lose all these, you know, we, you know, we could lose all our clients because it's not really a money-making business because, you know, there are no fees involved or anything. Um, But at the end of the day, the mechanism, I think, is almost exactly the same. When we come back, why we're so willing to trade protection for convenience. Are there any fraud protections? Because I just had someone try to charge 800 bucks to my Visa card, and that got shut down and stopped immediately. There's no protection for Zelle. I think that they, you know, the companies try really hard to make sure that you they don't want you to get scammed. So it's not like they're like, whatever. They, they, you know, if you've tried to make one of these transactions, you see like the little things you have to check that they're like, are you sure this person who's, is who they say they are? Like, do you know who they are? All that stuff. But there's no protection. Like credit cards didn't used to have protections either. But then there's a piece of legislation that was passed where, you know, basically those, those transactions are protected now. And it wasn't because the credit card companies and the banks wanted to, it was because the government made them. But there aren't those protections for Zelle. And I don't know that there's any real pressure on the banks to make those protections. I also know that it would be very expensive for these companies to have to provide those protections and probably much harder for them to provide the service for free if they were going to do it. And I think as long as people are mostly really happy to be able to send money for free 
and more people are going to get pissed off if they have to pay for it than than you know the fraction of people who are getting scammed out of billions of dollars then it's probably going to remain this way but i feel like there's so there's so much fraud that it's probably i don't know something something's going to happen perhaps not surprisingly Zell fraud has attracted the attention of Senator Elizabeth Warren, one of the banking industry's chief critics. The banks market Zell as, quote, fast, safe, and an easy way to spend money, end quote. That is only partly true. Uh, it is definitely fast. Zell is fast. Zell is easy. And they increase bank profit margins, but Zell is not safe. Last year alone, Zelle users were defrauded out of about half a billion dollars that we know of. Now, you When Devin was writing his story, he reached out to Warren's office to talk about his experience and whether any type of consumer protections for peer-to-peer finance might get through Congress. I know it's very shocking that Elizabeth Warren wants regulation on the financial industry. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they want these protections. I don't... I don't know that they think there's, you know, I think they're pushing for it and they're and it's their agenda. I don't know how optimistic they are that's going to happen anytime soon. What's the other side of that look like? Like, are the banks saying no, no, no? Like, is there active lobbying or is it sort of an afterthought? Yeah, I talked to this guy at the Wall Street Journal who pointed me towards some, you know, I think there's like some banking lobbying body called something like, you know, Bankers United, whatever, whatever it's whatever happy name that they give themselves, you know, Financial Protection Association or something. And, you know, they're putting out research about how safe this all is. And they definitely don't want to have to deal with that kind of financial regulation. But I, you know, I also think at the end of the day, if, if there had to be regulation, I think the big banks would probably be able to pay for it before smaller tech startups could pay for it. You know, in your piece, you went through the kind of soul-searching and hand-wringing that I think anybody who gets scammed goes through. Like, I would never fall for this. Only old people fall for scams. How did you reconcile the fact that you did? Yes, I've spent much of my life being smug and looking at my parents and being like... (laughs) They're such idiots. They don't know how to do anything. My dad can't turn off his alerts on his phone, let alone understand when someone calls him and wants money from him that maybe, you know, he actually, he now knows not to answer his phone. But, um, you know, I think that you definitely feel like when it when it happens to you, A, you feel like an idiot. And B, you definitely feel vulnerable. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't actually know who any of the people are who I'm making these trends. Like, everything becomes suspicious and you're sort of reluctant to to make any transaction like i call anyone anyone i pay now i call i text i make sure that like before i make the payment that's like this is the right this is actually who you are well because there's something that you are getting at and you wrote about this the idea that just how foundational trust is to the economy of my life is the phrase that you use but such a good phrase in <laughs> in a frictionless money on demand i can use my phone to pay you in your phone it requires a tremendous amount of trust and we all seem to have bought into the idea that convenience is is worth more than the hassle of 
establishing that people are who they say they are. Yes, 100%. But it's also like, I think trust and identity are such a bigger question in the whatever. I, are we in the internet age? I bet it, feels, it seems like we're somewhere past the internet age, but wherever we are now, it's like, can you really trust that anything is real right now? Um, you know, virtual worlds are getting so much more sophisticated. Deep fakes are getting more sophisticated. You know, my daughter listens to Spotify with her AI DJ. And there, there are like really famous people in the crypto world who are only avatars. Um, no one really knows who, even who they are. And, you know, so I, I think that like this notion of like, is I, is identity durable and like in the age we're living in is like a really weird question to to ponder and then when it and then when it like sort of hits in like a real way when you're you know transferring money and all that stuff then it's then it starts to seem even creepier you lost pool money of all the kind of money in the world to lose money on something like a swimming pool seems like maybe the best kind you know you weren't losing money you needed for medical bills or somebody's school but I wonder if it made you think like, oh, there are a lot of people who might be vulnerable to losing something they desperately need. Yeah. Like, I almost didn't want to write about this because like, oh, boo hoo hoo, like I lost my pool money. Like, that's fine. Like, we'll be fine without a pool. But yeah, I think if you're, if you are losing money that you can't afford to be without, that's like a, that's a, that's a pretty serious situation. And from what you're saying, it sounds like no one really cares. I don't, you know, I just think the things move so quickly and there's so much of it that it's the, there's not, there's no one there to care. There's not enough people. There's just, it's the volume's too big. Do you still use Zelle? I do. How do you feel about that? I don't know. Maybe if I were like more principled, I wouldn't do it. Uh, it happens to be like the only way that our landlord wants to be paid in rent. And I, I feel like, I wasn't going to like take a moral stand about it. Um, I do feel every time I use it, I'm like, if I am, if I, if this somehow isn't real, I really have no one to blame but myself. Devin Friedman, thank you for talking with me. It is always a pleasure to see you, Lizzie. Devin Friedman is a writer and editor. You can read his story, The Great Zell Pool Scam, on Insider. We've linked to it in our show notes. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like the work we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. You'll get all your Slate podcasts ad-free. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>